Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic at this hour is the prayerology of Jesus. What is the science of prayer? Many times we've talked about prayer, we've discussed prayer, we've even sung about prayer, but not really understood the science of prayer. Prayer was given us of the Lord to find a sweet fellowship and communion with him and to find solutions to those nagging problems of our lives. That's why the Lord gave us the science of prayer. Everybody here tonight has a problem. There's no exception. Some of us have several problems. <laughs> Ladies know that. Every lady that got married married a problem. But really, we have problems. Many of us have get, come to the conclusion that really, there must be no solution to my problem. And my friends, that's fatal. Christianity provides you and me with solutions to problems through the avenue of prayer, and prayer is a science. And this is what we want to share with you tonight. Will you think of one or two of the particular special problems in your life and adapt what we share with you from the Lord Jesus tonight, adapt it to that particular problem. Uh, the series is not just to entertain, far from it. We shall be happy. God wants us to be happy. He wants our joy to be full. But he want, doesn't want us to just be uh, an Alice in Wonderland, you see. He wants us to be able to walk out of this place knowing how we can find solutions to the problems that have been nagging us for years and years. I know there is a solution. Now, where would you expect to find the solution to nagging problems? In the Bible, right? But who is recorded in the Bible as the example of solutions. Who tells us the way? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. So he's going to give us the way. He has shown us the way. It's in the immutable, eternal, impeccable, living word of God. And he has shown it in many ways in the Bible, in many places. But we want you to notice particularly, since we're dealing with the science of prayer, in Christ's prayerology, we want to notice what we generally call the Lord's Prayer. In Luke, the 11th chapter, and the first verse, we have his second repetition of the Lord's Prayer. He gave it several months before as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Now he repeats a portion of it again as the disciples come to him. It said in when, this is Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 and onward. It says, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, his disciples came to him. And when he had ceased praying, that is, one of them said, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. There are a lot of people in the world today who don't think that anyone has the right to tell them how to pray. The Lord does have a right to tell us how to pray. Even John taught his disciples how to pray. And these men wanted to learn how to pray. 
They said, teach us to pray. They didn't just say how to pray, teach us to pray. Now, friends, these disciples of Jesus Christ had heard hundreds and probably thousands of prayers. Why do you suppose then they would say to the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray? They'd heard prayers on the street corners, loud and clear, and long as the Magellan who moved almost around the world. But all the prayers that they'd ever heard seemed to be no prayers at all when they heard Jesus pray. They saw Jesus go into his prayer sanctuary, weak at the close of a day, pale, emaciated, exhausted. They saw him come out of this prayer season, buoyant, full of life, even though he had not slept for hours at the time that they had been sleeping. And they saw him enter upon the next day's ministry with healing, men and women rejoicing in the healing powers which he brought to them. They said, my, we'd like to learn how to pray like that. It seemed that all the prayers they'd ever heard weren't prayers at all. They said, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them. Now, I've read the Lord's Prayer many times. How many of you have ever read the Lord's Prayer several times? May I see your hands? Many of us have. But I'm going to make a confession, my friends, at this hour. To you who are assembled in this church sanctuary and to you who are watching on the TV screen, I was preaching for 25 years before I recognized in the Lord's Prayer what I'm going to share with you tonight. There are many things about the Lord's Prayer I did know, but two of the most vital things about the Lord's Prayer I knew nothing whatsoever about for 25 years in my ministry. And my friends, if you, by the grace of God, can learn these two outstanding features of the Lord's Prayer, you'll be actually astonished at what it will do in your life. Jesus started in by saying, when you pray, say, pray after this manner, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. The first feature that I learned about the Lord's Prayer that literally astonished me was every sentence of the Lord's Prayer, every clause of the Lord's Prayer, every phrase of the Lord's Prayer is solution-centered. What does that mean to our prayers? It means that if we pray problem-centered prayers, we will not get solutions. Solutions come through solution-centered prayers. Everything about the Lord's Prayer was solution-centered. Our Father, what does that mean? Oh, so many people come to me and they say, I don't think God's interested in me at all. I said, yes, he is. Maybe your father, maybe you couldn't identify with your father, but there's a father in heaven that pities us with an infinite love. His compassion is expansive. He is really an outstanding, loving daddy who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when you go to him, you're not coming to God who's looking down his nose trying to find all the reasons in the world why he shouldn't answer your prayer. You're coming to a God who is extremely eager to answer prayers. We'll deal with the next, in the next study. Our Father, which art in heaven, he has heavenly solutions. 
That means that while you and I are groveling around trying to find earthly solutions and trying to find them by ourselves, we might a lot better turn to our Father in heaven and say, Lord, but you have heavenly solutions. And your name is holy, and that's the basis of my holiness. No man can be righteous in himself. The righteousness which you and I have or ever will have, the holiness to which you and I attain or ever will attain, comes directly from the Lord. It is not a do-it-yourself program. So you could go right through the Lord's Prayer and you'll want to conduct a treasure hunt. And you'll be literally blessed to find that Jesus presented to them solution-centered praying. Now, what is the difference between solution-centered praying and problem-centered praying? Let me share two or three examples. Several years ago, there were 15 individuals who decided that they would conduct a nine-month experimental test on prayer. Every one of the 15 agreed that if he or she would actually pray between one and two hours a day, that he or she would definitely find solutions. So they agreed together for the nine months period of test that they would pray every single day from one to two hours. Every one of the 15 did it. At the end of the nine months, what kind of a change would you expect would have taken place in their lives? Oh, friends, you would expect that they would be 80 or 90 or 95 percent improved, right? They had four special scientific tests that probed the subconscious. And those tests were according to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 shows four special obsessions that the fallen race has. Fear, hatred, inferiority, and guilt. And they tested these individuals at the beginning of the nine months period and again at the close. And the improvement that they made will amaze you. They, their improvement was absolutely zero. You know why? It was because their prayers were problem-centered prayers. For instance, a man that had a temper. He would talk to the Lord something like this. He said, Lord, I have a temper. I have a terrible temper. I've had a temper for years. I, I even lose my patience with my wife. Dear Lord, I would like to get rid of this temper. This temper is ruining me, Lord. But my father had a temper. And my mother had a temper. Even my grandfather had a temper and my grandmother had a temper. How many times has he said temper? From seven to 12 times, right then in that short period of time, he's talked about what? Temper. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, by beholding, we're changed into the same image. And instead of his being better the next day, he was worse than he was the day before. In addition to all the other mistakes he made, he slapped the cat right while she was purring. Now he comes to the Lord and he said, Lord, I'm worse than I was the day before. My father had a temper. My grandfather had a temper. My grandmother had a temper. My mother had a temper. I've had a temper. And Lord, my temper is shown to my wife. And yesterday my temper caused me to slap the cat. And Lord, this temper is horrible. I want to quit. And that day he kept the dog beside. Why? Here's the law. 2 Corinthians 3.18, by beholding, we're changed in the same image of the thing in which we go in a thought orbit. 
Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is teaching us, instead of going into thought orbit and prayer orbit and conversation orbit and communication orbit around the problem, my children, after this manner, after this philosophy, after this prayerology, you talk to me. Talk about my solutions. Oh, you may identify the problem. That's all right. But having identified the problem, don't go into orbit around the problem. Do you know a lot of people are doing that? They talk to the Lord about their problems. They talk to people about their problems. Everywhere we go, we find a group of people who say to us, what do you think about the time of trouble? And they talk about the time of trouble, the time of trouble, the time of trouble, the time of trouble, until they become troublemakers. Others say, do you know the pestilence are coming, you know? There's going to be a worldwide famine. Of course there's going to be friends. But, but we're not going to be improved by saying famine, 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 until we become a pest. We talk about pestilence till we become a pest. We talk about plagues. You know, when do you suppose the first plague is going to fall? Till we become a plague. God wants his people to merely identify the problem and then after this manner pray. Go out of the problem into God's immutable, eternal solutions. By beholding, we're changed in the same image. You may want to take notes during this series. I hope you will. I hope those who are here will do it. I hope those that are viewing it on TV will do it. Because, friends, the, the text of Scripture will be the greatest blessing. The young men who are traveling with me and have traveled for five and a half years nearly, when they started with us, they hardly knew a text. You'll notice through this series they can give text after text after text. You know why they can do it? While they're sitting, as you're sitting, and I was speaking, they were writing down these texts. Service after service, study after study, study. They're writing these texts. Today, my friends, they can give texts of Scripture that literally amaze men and women who have been in Christ for 50 years. God wants us to rise above this lethargy, what do you say, and find the solutions in his immutable, eternal, impeccable, living, creative word. Now, what happens when we go into a solution uh, in orbit around problems? Let me give you a, a homely uh, example. When I was a little boy, I wanted to learn to ride a bicycle. Anybody here ever learned to ride a bicycle? Oh, wonderful. Those who haven't tried it, you'll like it. But you know, I had trouble. <laughs> I had trouble. I, I, they had just installed a telephone pole right next to the road. And I was so afraid that I would ride in that telephone pole that I glued my eyes on the telephone pole and I began to chatter almost like a monkey. I'm afraid I'm going to write in that telephone pole and I glued my eyes on the telephone pole. You know where I went? Cause Mike, right in the telephone pole. And then I said, oh, I don't want that anymore. And I turned from the telephone pole, thank the Lord. But as I turned, I saw on the other side of the road a maple tree that was five times as large as a telephone pole. And I thought, if I couldn't have missed the telephone pole, how in the world am I ever going to be able to miss the tree? Oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to ride in that tree. I'm so afraid I'm going to ride in that tree. I'm, I'm just about sure I'm going to ride in that tree. You know where I went? Smack dab right in the tree. And then my brother Lane came along, bless his heart. He said, Glenn, would you like to learn to ride a bicycle? I said, would I? He said, you want me to tell you how? I said, I surely would appreciate it. He said, where do you want to go? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? 
I said, I'd like to go down the road. He said, all right, jump on the bicycle and look down the road. I said, thank you. Now, how do you ride? He said, I just got through telling you. Play that back. He said, jump on the bicycle. Where did you say you want to go? I said, down the road. He said, jump on the bicycle and look down the road. Well, I, yeah, thank you. You, you. You've told me where, but how? He said, I've just told you twice. Where you look, you'll go. I remember how I got onto that bicycle, wobbly and weak and scared, almost out of my skin. And I, I had a battle to look down the road because at my right was that telephone pole, at the left was this big maple tree. I was afraid. I looked right down the road. You know what? I've never since ridden into a problem telephone pole or a tree. What you look at, you run into. What you mull over, you become. God said so. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Amen. That's what he's like. I heard recently of four psychiatrists who conducted an extensive research on suicide. Four psychiatrists. They studied it by day and by night. Suicide. Four psychiatrists. Three committed suicide. What you talk about, what you think, what you mull over, what you meditate upon, what you zero your mind in on, you become. Gradually, ever so gradual. When I was in school, there's a boy that uh, stammered. And you know, in any school where there's one boy that stammers, there's always one <laughs> very clever boy who can mimic. And in this school, there was a boy who could mimic. <clears throat> and you know, it's unfortunate. Do you know children can be innocently cruel? And this mimicker did a superb job at mimicking this poor stammerer. And the rest of us boys went, oh, we just liked it. Oh, friends, let us interrupt our story just for a moment. Young men, young girls, boys, if you see somebody in your neighborhood, in your school, that's a little different, don't you let anybody poke fun at him. Don't do it. And this mimicker did such a wonderful job, and we all were praising him. Years later, I met the mimicker. You know what he'd become? A lifetime stammerer. Another example in our own home. There was a great minister that came to our home. His name was S.H. Lane. He was the president of our conference. Great man. And with him was a young man who was, uh, as we would say today, interning. This great minister was flowery. He was, he was eloquent. He was sincere. He knew how to put the words together. But he wasn't just trying to put words together. It came natural. And the young minister was so thrilled as he observed this great man of God preaching. But the, elder, the older minister had one handicap. He limped. He had limped for years, and he limped till the day of his death. I don't know what had happened. After about six or nine months with this great minister, the young minister was putting his words together. He was constructing his sentences like the great orator, orator. You know why? By beholding, we're what? 
changed in the same image. But the amazing thing was, the young man who was physically perfect at the end of six or nine months was limping too. He had looked at this great man of God, he admired him so much, he observed him and fixed his gaze on him until he limped just like the older minister. By beholding, we're changed the same image. Jesus says, after this manner, pray. How did he pray? He prayed solution-centered prayers. The second phase of the Lord's Prayer that, that thrilled me, though I was so many years in learning it, was this. How in the world do you pray a solution-centered prayer? Oh, yes, we'd all like to pray solution-centered prayers, but how can a man pray a solution-centered prayer when he isn't getting any solutions? That's how he gets solutions, is by praying solution-centered prayers. And this is what I found, the second feature of the Lord's Prayer. And my friends, if you will again conduct a treasure hunt on what I give you a few examples tonight, you will find it is amazing, astonishing at what, at what will happen. The Lord's Prayer, number one, solution-centered. Number two, it is solution-centered because it is built on the promises of God's Word. I never dreamed it. I didn't find Jesus saying, look, you claim promises. He didn't do that. But the Bible says Jesus began to do and to teach. He did by doing. He showed men. He gave them an example. You do as I've done after this manner do. Now notice, and I'll just give you two or three examples, then you can, as I say, conduct your own treasure hunt. The Lord's Prayer starts with these words, Our Father. Did you know that there are many promises in the Bible? Not just a few. Many promises in the Bible from the Lord. He said, I will be a father to you. 2 Samuel 7, 14. I'll be a father. In Isaiah 63, 16, it says, Our Father. Again, like as a father pities his child, so the Lord pities them that, that fear him. Oh, there are many, many promises in the Bible that God will always be a father to us. So Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer solution-centeredly because he draws on the immutable, eternal promises of Scripture. Our Father, which art in heaven. Oh, my. You look in the, in the concordance of the Bible under the word heaven, and you just find statement after statement after statement promising that God not merely is in heaven, but that he will always remain in heaven. That is, no one can drag him from his throne, do you see? Nobody can dethrone God. The devil cannot overcome God, see? So when I have God in my life, when Jesus is in control, all the demons in hell cannot overcome God, right? So he is our father. He is in heaven. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 and 3. God is in heaven. Isaiah 57, 15. Thus, say, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is, is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is the humble and contrite spirit. These are just a few of the promises that God is always there. And all the demons in hell and all the wicked men of earth can never dethrone God. God will never be overcome. You know, I, I hear people every once in a while 
talking about how, how powerful the devil is. Did you ever hear them doing that? People come to me, they said, did you just hear what the devil did? I said, no, I'm not a devil worshiper. Have you heard what the Lord is doing? He's mighty to save. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is a promise. Malachi 3, 6. I am God, I change not. First Peter covers the same thought. He is holy. You read again and again in Leviticus and other places in the Old Testament. Be you holy because I am holy and I change not. It's a promise that God will always be holy. So we can always reach up and take hold of his character. Aren't you glad? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Oh, my. Promise after promise. In Micah, the fourth chapter, it says his kingdom will come again. In Daniel 2, 44, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Again and again and again you have it. Every part of the Lord's prayer is based on a promise of the Bible or a Bible statement. In most cases, many Bible promises. Now, how is it that a Bible promise contains a solution? And Jesus makes this clear. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Luke 8, verse 11. I'm so happy to see so many people taking notes. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus said that the word of God is seed. The word of God is seed. Jesus had two books from which he taught. He drew on the book of nature on the one hand and the book of Revelation on the other. And Jesus combined the two. When Jesus said that his word or his promises and his commands and all his word is seed, you know what he was saying? I didn't know this. Again, I say for 25 years as I was preaching. And then I read from this wonderful uh, science, prize-winning science, Rutherford Platt. He said that every normal apple seed contains what do you suppose? An apple tree. The seed contains the thing it promises. It's there. An apple seed contains an apple tree, uh, an apple tree trunk, tiny, tiny trunk, two apple tree leaves, and apple tree roots. Every normal apple seed. Rutherford Platt said if you could have a magnifying glass big enough, you could see it. Isn't that amazing? So every time you hold a normal apple seed in your hand, what are you holding in your hand? An apple tree. I know it now because I saw and cut slantwise a persimmon seed. A minister told me about it. He said, a wild persimmon seed, if you cut it slantwise, you can see the tree. And he said, I'll tell you the road, go down the road, turn right and go so many miles, turn left and there are so many miles and then you'll see this wild persimmon tree. And he said, you, th those persimmons are just ripe enough so you can take one and, and you take one of these wild seeds and cut it slantwise and you'll see the tree. And sure enough, there it was. Having seen once a tree in the seed, it's not hard for me now to reach out by faith and say, there's an apple tree in every apple seed. What do you say? Every orange seed contains what? Everybody. An orange tree. Now, Jesus said that his word is seed. Every promise in the Bible is a seed. Therefore, every promise in the Bible contains what it names. 
A promise for wisdom, James 1.5. You know what it contains? Wisdom. You see, the word of God is God. The word of Jesus is the word of God, right? His name is called the word of God. The word of God, the promises of God, are the extension of God. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, 53, John 6, 63. So every word of God is God's life. So when we claim a promise for wisdom, what is there in that promise? There's the life of Jesus Christ. Interpreted as wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Christ is made unto us wisdom. Aren't you glad? Christ is made unto us wisdom. Every promise of God is a seed. Every seed contains what it names. A promise for wisdom in God's immutable word contains the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ interpreted as wisdom. The promise for guidance contains the life of Jesus Christ in the form of guidance. The promise for victory, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. A promise for victory contains the life of Jesus Christ in the form of victory. So now to pray a solution-centered prayer, we hunt up one of the promises. The Bible contains 3,573 promises or clusters of promises. 3,573 promises or clusters of promises. Every one of these promises contains what? What it names. Because every one of these promises is a seed. Now, how do you claim them? Here's a promise for wisdom. How do you claim it? Jesus told us how to claim it. I'm so glad. He taught us how to pray solution-centered prayers. This is what he said to do. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. That's the A. Now, what should I ask for? John 15, 7. He said, ask for his word to be fulfilled. He said, if I abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. In other words, ask for anything that I promise. If you come to me in unselfishness, that's my abiding in you, my attitude, my spirit, my life, it'll be unselfish. And if you limit your prayer to what I promised, you can ask anything I promised. So the A of a solution-centered prayer, A is to, clay, to ask God to fulfill a promise. Nothing difficult about that, is there? The B of prayer is found in Mark eleven twenty four. Believe that you receive and you will have. Why should I believe that I receive? Because when I claim a Bible promise, the gift that is promised is in that promise. I can't explain how. I can't explain how Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I know he was. I believe it because the Bible says it. But I can't explain how. Neither can I explain how God's very life is in his promise. But he said it is, so I believe it, don't you? I can't explain how the gift of God is in every promise, but it is, he said so. So A, ask. B, believe. Now, believe. How do you believe? You believe in simple, childlike trust. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, unless you become like little children, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You know how little children believe? 
They're two little girls quarreling, just little tykes. Little quarrelsome girls. I don't know what they're quarreling about. One little girl said, it is. And the other little girl shrugged her shoulders and said, it ain't. It ain't so. And the first little girl got all upset. She said, it is so because mommy said it's so. The, the other little girl shrugged her shoulders again. She said, it still ain't so. And that just riled her little friend. And her little friend said, it is so too. She said, what mommy says is so, even if it ain't so. That's childlike faith. I go to God's immutable word. I take a promise from his word. You will do the same. The promise contains the solution that it promises. I ask God to do what he's promised in childlike trust. No matter how unworthy I am, I say, Lord, I believe. And the C is to claim it or receive it. Matthew 21, 22. Listen to this. ABC, all in one text. He said, all things that you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Ask, believe, receive. Or ask, believe, and claim. How do you receive? You receive by opening the heart, as Jesus did at the grave of Lazarus. He said there in, Luke, in John eleven forty one, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You see, there was a promise that he could raise the dead in Isaiah. Jesus reached right up and took hold of that promise, and he stood there before the grave of Lazarus, and he said, Lord, I thank you, you have heard me. That's the way to pray. Lord, you promised, the gift is in the promise. When I put the promise in a believing heart, I have the solution. It may be like the tree in the apple seed. I, I don't see the tree at once. I don't have to see the solution immediately, but it's there. I accept it first by faith and little by little as it germinates and grows. I see it poking its head up. Ah, there it is, you see. Now let me give you an example, friends, of the two features of the Lord's Prayer we've shared tonight. First, to pray a solution-centered prayer and to talk solution-centeredly. And the second is we can do it by laying hold of God's promises by asking, believing, and thanking him that we've received. The example is that of a young doctor and his wife who attended a series of meetings over in California. A lovely couple, they're about 40 years old. We had a wonderful fellowship with them. We ate at their table, we got acquainted with them the brief week we were there. Got acquainted with a lot of other people too. And uh, they told us how they had recently gotten a hold of the Lord in a very definite, wonderful way. And they learned the ABCs of prayer. A year later, after we'd gone back to Tennessee where we live and came back to California, as the Lord would have it, we held a series within 20 miles of the home of this doctor and his wife. Sure enough, the first night, there they were. Oh, we were so happy to see them. You know, fellowship's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And after we chatted a bit, he called me to one side. His countenance clouded a little. And he said, we have a little problem. I wonder if you can help me with it. I said, I'd be happy to. He said, my wife has become infatuated with a young man half her age. Could you help us? I said, yes. Yes, indeed. Tomorrow evening, right after the meeting, I'll meet you in the pastor's study. Why could I say yes, indeed? Because the Lord Jesus said, after this manner, pray. Talk about what? Solutions. And do what? Claim God's promises. Put the two together. So when they came to the pastor's study, and I met with them, 
I knew they'd already learned about the ABCs. They'd heard many case histories, so I didn't have to review it. I said, now, sister, by the way, you know how, if I hadn't learned this, you know how I'd have probably attacked that lady that was infatuated? I probably would have said something like this to her. Sister, I wonder if you realize the awful sin you've committed. You know, and then, re then report next Sabbath, <laughs> one missionary visit. For whom? For the accuser of the brethren. No, I didn't have to tell her what a terrible sin she committed. She knew it. I could have said, do you realize, sister, you have brought reproach on your husband. You've brought reproach on the church. I'm ashamed of you. Why wouldn't that have made me feel like a good, wholesome Pharisee? No, I didn't have to talk about that. The devil had been talking about that. He is the accuser of the brethren, right? Why should I conduct a devilish missionary visit? After this manner, pray. So I said, putting the two together, see? Do what? Talk and pray about solutions and claim God's promise because a promise contains the solution. So I said, we're going to claim a promise. And God is going to deliver you. And the promise is found in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself, he likewise himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through a fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I said, sister, that says that God is going to deliver you completely, even though you're in this thing all your life. You've only been in about six months. A God that can deliver you, even though you've been in it all your life, can deliver you after six months. So, sister, we're going to ask God to do what he's promised. Isn't that fair? How many say amen? amen? And then we're going to say, Lord, we believe. Why do we believe? Because God cannot lie. 1 John 5.10 says, He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. So we're going to believe God. He's not a liar. And then we're going to reach up and say, Lord, thank you we have received because the gift isn't the promise. And I made a gesture to Neil. And the dear lady, she said, Pastor, I don't seem to have much faith. I said, don't you worry about that. I said, I've read from a wonderful author that's taught me more about prayer than all other authors combined. And I've put it in our study guide. And the author said this to somebody that wrote a letter and said, I don't have faith. And the author said, you can rest on our faith. Matthew 18, 19. If two of you agree, the other one can rest on that faith. I said, sister, you can rest on our faith. God will accept your husband's and my faith. And when your faith is a little frustrated, that's what fellowship is all about. So we will kneel and we're going to ask and believe and receive. And again, she said, but I don't seem to have any faith. Don't worry a bit, sister. I said, did you hear about the geese that were migrating? I said, as they were migrating, a hunter shot one of these geese very, very slightly, but enough so it couldn't have, it couldn't have flown very much farther. And two geese immediately lapped their wings under this goose and carried that goose right along to a place of safety. I said, you know, if God has made the geese with that much sympathy and fellowship, shouldn't we have it? That's fellowship. He has said, if two of you agree, it'll be done. I turned to her husband. I said, you agree that she's going to be delivered, don't you? He said, yes. 
He said, it's all my fault, too. He said, I didn't pay enough attention to her. I didn't give her the companionship she deserved. I spent a lot of time in my practice, and I spent a lot of time in hobbies and, I, and pathfinders and all these things that were good, but I didn't give her any, any, any companionship. My fault. My friends, that gives us a lesson, too. If you and I want to see our dear ones come closer to the Lord, let's not act like Pharisees. Let's let them know that we're sinners. And I said, all right, then we're going to kneel. About six times I repeated it before she finally agreed. Finally, we knelt. As we knelt in prayer, <clears throat> he prayed. He prayed a beautiful ABC prayer. A is what everybody? Yeah. Ask. B is what everybody? Believe. Why? Because God cannot lie. C is what? Claim it by saying, thank you, I have received. Why? The gift is in the promise. Not because we can see it, not because we can feel it, not because we can even understand it, but because God said so. And he prayed an ABC prayer beautifully. And then I prayed, led them in a phrase-by-phrase prayer. It went something like this. Dear Lord in heaven, we're sinners. But we come to you claiming your promise of deliverance. We ask you to deliver. I named her. We believe you're doing it. And they repeated, thank you, Lord. You have delivered her. In Jesus' name, amen. And I got her out of my knees. We're there probably 15 minutes, not longer than 15 minutes. I shook her hand. I said, sister, you're set free. You're completely delivered. And she almost did this. You are really set free. I said, we'll see you tomorrow night. Good night. <laughs> the next night, I came to church real early. There were only about 15 people in the big sanctuary, and these people were right up near the front. I walked up to where they were sitting, in the pew just in front of them, and as I walked into that pew, that lady bounded to her feet, threw her arms around me. She said, Pastor, Jesus Christ has completely delivered me. She said, let me tell you how I know. She said, my faith was so weak last night that even after you prayed for me on the way home, I really decided to think about that boy. And the Lord didn't even let me think about it. This morning when I got up, my faith was still so flimsy that I thought, well, let, let me think. She said, he wouldn't even let me think about him. She said, Pastor, the Lord Jesus has completely set me free. She said, I am so happy in the Lord to think his marvelous grace has given me the solution. The Lord's prayers it tells us the manner. This is Christ's paralogy. Pray solution-centered prayers. And the solution is found in the promises of God. And we can reach up and say, I ask because you told me to do. I believe because you cannot lie. I thank you I have received because the gift is in the promise. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that God is willing to be made flesh and dwelt among us. I thank you, dear Lord, that thou hast given us these thousands of promises containing your very life. Lord, this evening, without a doubt, there are men and women, boys and girls who came in burdened down with problems. We've talked about those problems too much. We've discussed them. We've gone into orbit. We've worried. We've circled and circled and circled them when we should have come to your word. 
and you've promised in Philippians 4.19 to supply all our need, whatever problem that is. So we come asking. And while our heads are bowed in prayer, Lord, I'm going to ask, how many here this evening, and also those that are viewing, how many have problems and you're willing to come to the Lord and ask him to supply your need? Would you lift your hands? God bless you. Will you now tell him that you believe? Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.